Hello and welcome to the We Are Geeks, a Nightmare on Elm Street podcast from wearetessellate.com, where every Friday we will be covering a new installment in the classic horror franchise. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout. The We Are Geeks podcast series is published by We Are Tessellate, and it is a completely independent podcast series. We Are Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the films referenced, and no infringement is intended. Come to Freddy. Welcome to the very first episode in the Geeks, A Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective podcast. <sighs> this is our second horror retrospective we've done. We did Friday the 13th. Uh, joining me, sorry, I'm your host, Al White, I should say. And joining me on this journey through all of the Freddy films from 1984 through to currently 2010. Uh, joining me on this journey, Alexander Chard. Good evening. You your clanky, clanky Kruger glove on. Yeah, do you want to let people know where you got this from? So I bought, so first of all, if you can't see us, go to YouTube, type in We Are Tessellate, subscribe to our channel. You can watch the video version of these podcasts. And I bought this disturbingly accurate Freddy replica glove with all metal and then proper metal blades. Not sharpened, but they could easily be sharpened. They could still certainly hurt if thrust sure. at you. With, For sure. Uh, force. I bought these from a kid's store in Santa Monica. Brilliant. Uh, they're just there on the on the shelf. And I was like, "What? How much is that?" And it was only about seventy dollars, which for cause it's a really good replica glove. I love yeah, it. It is very accurate. Uh, I'm very, I was happy with that purchase. We'll put that there. Albeit disturbed. It's wonderful. Alex, how you doing, man? Very good. Very we're, good. We're gonna. It's just you and me for this one. So some of the other. Yeah. We're doing a bunch of uh, horror franchise retrospectives. Um, once a week, we will be putting up the podcast, uh, talking about each film in detail. And hoping, yeah, if you're listening to this, join us on the journey. You might as well watch one and then listen to it or listen to us while you watch it. Mm-hmm. If that helps. Um, how else? First of all, though, I feel we should, we should let the listeners know what is our background on this series so they know, you know, where we're coming from. Sure, sure, sure. So you were the one. So when I said, hey, I'm going to do some horror retrospectives, who wants to be on what? You immediately put your little metallic claw finger up. <laughs> say nightmare i mean that was it that was that was the one that stood out on the list for me and that was the one i chose uh reasons being is that um as i sort of told you at the time this was the one that had the strongest sort of resonance with my childhood and my early memories of what a horror film was and what a horror villain uh was like um I have an older brother and sister who are 11 and 8 years older than me. So I was very much influenced by what they were watching at the time. I was born smack bang in the middle of the 80s in 85. So yeah, I had very much was influenced by what they were watching and what they were talking about. And Freddy Krueger was a part of that. And I remember... I don't necessarily remember which films I saw or what I watched. I think... When I was a bit older, I remember seeing the TV series, which we're not going to uh, touch on. No, exactly. Uh, you keep asking podcasts. about that. We're not uh, doing the TV series. So th- that, that memory sticks with me. I don't have like definite memories of which particular films I saw, but as far as Freddy Krueger himself, yeah, totally is sort of um, resonant in my childhood and, and my memory. So that was a big part of why I wanted to, to go back and revisit these films. Did you remember when you saw the first one? So you've seen the first one before, definitely. You mm. think you've seen at least one of the others, but you're not sure necessarily which yeah, one. Yeah, and I may, and I, I certainly haven't seen any of the newer ones. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I can't recall like which ones I have which definitely seen. Okay. Um, so that's why it's also fun for me to go back and revisit these and, and see yeah, what definitely. memories are triggered. Um, but yeah, F- Freddy has always always been in my mind. It's always, always stuck with me. <laughs> yeah. um, and how about you? Yeah, so for me, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street was one of my first horror films um, that I'd ever seen. Uh, I saw it at about the age of 15, 16. I was very late to horror films, as I've said before on this podcast. I'd seen Night of the Living Dead around about the same time, and that film changed my life. So I was getting intrigued with horror. And then I remember sitting up and plugging in my headphones and watching a Nightmare on Elm Street and just being fucking terrified. I mean, maybe mm. I was 14, 15, around about that. 
uh, it was just just a different world. It was a yeah. little portal into this ugly, grimy world that disturbed me and terrified me and repulsed me and then also fascinated me a little bit. To the point where then, I remember now, I forgot all about this, I went and bought the Freddy books. I was reading his literature. Like they, the Freddy books? They made novels about Freddy. Right, okay. Which I guess were a bit similar to the TV show. Um, just a little weird vignettes kind of thing. Um, yeah, and I, I was remember reading them in school. Uh, about about, about his character? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Before just, just or after he became? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember the dream to do with it. Extended thing. universe stuff, probably. Um, <laughs> the Freddy EU. So, yeah. So I got into him that way, but I was kind of too scared to go back to the films. Um, and then, yeah, really got in slashers through Halloween, which we'll get to later on a different um, retrospective. Um, but yeah, I always always held this one up in a great accolade as a genuinely scary film, mm-hmm. uh, genuinely grimy and genuinely quite brilliant. Yeah, um, and I've revisited it many, many, many times. Um, the whole franchise I've I've seen uh, quite a few times, but I haven't seen them in a long time. It's definitely the one I've gone back to the least. Um, I go back to the first one. I go back to Wes Craven's New Nightmare often. Um, I've only seen the remake actually once, and the other films maybe a couple of times, but it was a long time ago. Halloween I'm way more familiar with, and Friday I'm way more familiar with. So this is gonna be a fun journey. Uh, I mean, this this opinion will probably change throughout this kind of retrospective journey on this series. But if you had to pick a favorite at this point, of what? Of the Nightmare series. Oh, a favorite episode. Fa- like favorite film. Yeah, definitely favorite number chapter. one. Okay. Definitely number one, followed by number seven. And then I'm not sure. I know a lot of people love three, so I'm interested going back to that. I didn't really like it that much at the time when I saw mm-hmm. it, but I know that's a lot of people's favorite nightmare. So cool. um, I know a lot of people's least favorite is two, and I have bad memories of that one. So I'm not looking forward to sadly our next one. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely one for cool. sure, for sure. So let's do a little bit of information as we like to start off. So you, uh, if you're listening, a um, nightmare on Elm Street was directed by. Um, Wes Craven went blank for a second there. who passed away last year sadly yeah, passed away in 2015 um, incredibly I genuinely think so some people I listen to some podcasts talking about this series and they kind of called him out as not a horror master because there are a lot of horror masters in inverted commas right. and I think a lot of them are full of shit you know I think Toby Hooper is not a horror master mm-hmm. I think Wes Craven I mean, it's a weird word to use, but as much as anyone can be, I think he—I really think he is. He's done some incredibly influential and some very disturbing films. He was a very intelligent man, mm. very well spoken, very articulate. Was a lot more mature in his approach than most of the horror makers out there. So you're saying that some people don't consider him a master of his genre. Some people have really been quite mean to him. I mean, not since he's died. Obviously, people yeah. become nicer again then. But I know a lot of people give him a lot of slack. Um, I, I genuinely think he's—he's. He's, He's made some of the greatest horror films ever made, particularly in yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street 1 um, and the Scream series. Uh, he also did Last House on the Left. Um, and what else did he do? I mean, he's made some bad ones, don't get me wrong. Um, I saw The Take, he did Red Eye, he did Cursed, he did Vampire in Brooklyn, which is unbelievably bad. Vampire in Brooklyn, yep, I remember um, that film. But he also Eddie did yeah, The Hills Have Eyes, the original one of that. Uh, yeah, Last House on the Left was his first movie. He did Swamp Sing, which is kind of, is actually kind of cool. I mean, he had a huge impact on pop culture. Yes. Surely that is enough to elevate him into some sort of yeah, master I th- status. I think I'm, uh, basically for me, just between Nightmare on Elm Street 1, Wes Craven's New Nightmare and then Scream series, for me, he's, yeah, one of the best horror directors out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, I think I'm kind of influenced by the fact that, yeah, in all the interviews I've seen and read, and when you see him in Wes Craven's New Nightmare, because he turns up in that playing himself, he's seems like a, just a very intelligent, smart, savvy slightly he's got a chip on his shoulder for sure about what mm. happened to this series um but i just like him i like him a lot a lot more than most horror directors um anyway directed by him uh starred robert england as a titular character freddy krueger and he still as plays well. freddy to this day right no no the he remake does. the remake no his last time playing freddy was freddy versus jason right um, okay um, Heather Langkamp and introducing Johnny Depp. Jonathan Depp, I think. Jonathan Depp in a tiny little... Uh, what, what was that t-shirt thing he was wearing? It was like a football t-shirt, which he had cut. So it he had cut it above his belly button. Yeah, it's got a good midriff to shine. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, <laughs> I'm going to try and summarize up this film then. Uh, so we start the film and you are with a character called Tina 
who is running through a boiler room being chased by a man with finger knives. I'm not sure who he is. Of course, it is Freddy Krueger, as we find out later. Uh, she then wakes up, all scared, uh, tells her friends about a dream. Turns out some of her other friends have had the same dream. Um, she's... Actually, don't we, we start with him seeing him well, make yes, the glove? Yeah, to be fair, yeah. You start with a montage, which we'll definitely talk more about later, about, yeah, of Freddy career making his glove. Uh, then you jump into the stream. Then you jump to all the kids at school. She is friends with Heather Langkamp, who's a character called Nancy, uh, whose boyfriend is Johnny Depp. Uh, the the What seems to be the lead character at that point, Nancy, sorry, not Nancy, Tina, um, has a boyfriend who's very edgy and seems like a bit of a loose cannon. Um, should make sure your mic's plugged in. Uh, they all uh, hang out at, at Tina's house that night because she's having trouble sleeping because of these dreams about Freddy. Um, they have some premarital sex and then she falls asleep and Freddy comes into her dreams and uh, it's the first time you really get to see Freddy's face mm -hmm. in that dream. And then murders her in her sleep uh, in a pretty great kill scene that we'll talk about as well later. Mm -hmm. uh, her boyfriend flees the room because he doesn't know what's going on and just this invisible force is killing Tina. Yep. Um, uh, but of course, because he flees and wasn't a great, uh, wasn't a very innocent seeming character to begin with, everyone he presumes. Knife. He did have a flick of knife. Switch knife, whatever. He's just Switch played. blade. Yeah. Uh, everyone presumes that he is the killer other than our now new lead character, which is Nancy, played by Heather Lancome. Uh, we then follow her character for the rest of the movie. Her mother is an alcoholic when we join her, and she has split with her husband, who is the chief of police, um, who is, of course, investigating these killings. They presume the weird flick knife boyfriend did the killing, so they eventually capture him, put him in jail. Nancy, however, has begun having dreams of Freddy herself, and uh, yeah, becomes clued in a little bit to Freddy Krueger. Her mother, worrying about her, uh, puts her into a sleep clinic after two days without sleep, which mm -hmm. is a little drastic. <laughs> um, Nancy then pulls out Freddy's hat from her dream, which conveniently has Freddy Krueger's name tag sewn into it because... Wait, I think you missed a bit. Did I? Before she goes to the sleep clinic, uh, uh, old lady the switchblade. Um, Does he get strangled before that? Yeah, because, it because that. it's... So basically, yeah, uh, old mate with the switchblade is in jail. Um, our friend Nancy starts getting clued into who Freddy is and that he comes into their dreams. Mm -hmm. So she plots a plan with Johnny Depp to try and sort of investigate Freddy more mm -hmm. and getting Johnny to be Nightwatch. Um, and she sees Freddy in Switchblade's cell. And then wakes up from that and they rush to okay. the prison. I was getting the order in modeled up. Um, yeah. And because, then then, because then she, uh, at Switchblade's funeral, he ends up getting hung in his cell by Freddy. And at Switchblade's funeral, she speaks to the mom and describes Freddy Krueger. And that's the first time the parents oh, yeah. are like... Yeah, you're right. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's the first time you realize uh, that the parents know something about this killer. You're mm -hmm. not sure what it is. She goes to sleep clinic. Pulls Freddy's hat out of his out of the dream. The label's on there, so she knows. No, actually, I think it is the other way around because she knows he's called Fred Krueger when she pulls the hat out of the dream. Doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, doesn't matter. Um, and then, um, oh, I've lost my thread now. What happens in this movie? So, <laughs> so many weird things. So she returns home, uh, and she basically is almost at a week of non-sleep, mm -hmm. and knowing now that she can pull him out of the dream world she goes back to johnny depp uh, but at this stage her mom's also barred all the windows yep. and doors with like steel bars so she can't get out and johnny depp can't sneak in at night so she calls johnny depp who lives directly across the road and says meet me on the porch at 12 um and basically hatches this plan with him to uh help her pull Freddy out of the dream world um, because her belief was was that if she was holding on to him like she was holding on to the hat when she was woken up he would come to the real world 
And then she seems to, she doesn't really have an idea of how what to do. She thinks her, her father can arrest him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny Depp, of course, falls asleep and dies. Um, blender. Horrible thing. So then she uh, tries to enlist her father to come over, uh, arrest Freddy when he comes out of the dream. Um, she goes into her dream, grabs Freddy, wakes up, isn't sure if she's awake or not, basically. Mm-hmm. Her father isn't there. Uh, Freddy comes out of the dream to chase around the house a little bit, yep. set Freddy on fire. Um, then her father bursts into the house and then they go upstairs and find Freddy wrestling with her mother who then turns into a weird floaty light skeleton and disappears into the mattress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then her father wanders away, <laughs> seemingly not too perturbed by this, yeah, this he... sight. Freddy comes back and Nancy uses a technique that Johnny Depp mentions at one point about, is it Bella? What type of it's? Yeah, I kind of miss that. He mentions it briefly in one scene about Balinese women, I want to say, he says. Balinese women? Balinese women, sorry, my pronunciations. Um, I think that that's how he pronounces it. And how they, in order to get power away from demons in their dreams, they just turn their backs on them and say they don't exist, essentially. Yeah. And rob them of their powers. Um, So she tries this technique on Freddy. He disappears in little CGI 80s (laughs) magic, like Highlander magic, I like to think of. Yeah. Uh, there's some of that in one of the Jason films. It's movie. funny, that was probably, a, we'll get into it, but that was probably one of the only effect effects. Everything else seems mm. sort of like practical. Yeah, a lot of a lot was practical. Um, yeah, he disappears. She's all happy. She walks through the door. It's sunny daylight. None of it happened. Her boyfriend's back to life. Her best friend, uh, Tina's back to life. Tina's weirdo boyfriend's Switch back to blade. life. Her mother's back to life. Mm-hmm. They get into the car to ride off. A little Freddy jumper embellished uh, uh, hood hood of the car yeah Yeah. Um, convertible sort of thing flops over the top they drive away screaming the mother's waving in a nonchalant creepy fashion and then gets in the last second pulled back into the house uh, through the tiny little window by a cackling Freddy crew crew (laughs) cue credits cue credits oh well done mate Friday the 13th ones, man, are much easier. Let me tell you. Some kids go to camp. They get the boobs out. Jason turns up. He's pissed off. He stabs them. End of film. Yeah. We only had man boobs in this one. Yeah. Only man boobs. No, well, sort of. And a bit it was of a floaty, floaty. We'll get to that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that was a protract... If you got through that, well done. <laughs> that was a protracted well done to story. You. Very well done. Um, so let's get into some of the details, shall we, Alex? First of all, broad, broad scopes. Broad, broad sort of sweeps to it all. How did you feel coming back to this film after so many years um, as a modern cinema horror, you know, film goer? You know, some bits of it are clearly quite dated and haven't stood the test of time. Um, um, yeah, a bit sort of by today's standard, as far as like the kind of jump scares and the build up and the tension. Um wasn't quite like i mean i didn't find it as scary as perhaps i remembered however however and this is the thing that for me is always like a sign of a good horror film for me is that this is the a type of film that is going to resonate after i watch it mm-hmm. it's going to stick with me for a bit um and particularly the themes and the themes of dreaming and going to sleep like that for me getting to the end of that i was like man that's such a great idea because whenever you would whether you watch that 30 years ago you watch it now you're inevitably going to think about it the moment you get into bed Mm -hmm. and you go to close your eyes and for me it's like great that's a success like and that's why i think it's brilliant yeah um is because it's it uh yeah it sticks with me like that and and i mean that and that's it That's that's what i feel about it i think I still, yeah, I, I still think this is a seminal horror film. I really do. Mm-hmm. Is it as scary as it used to be? No, not at all. I find it hard to tell what's scary anymore, to be honest, because I've watched too many horror films. So yeah. I just don't really get scared by things. But if you're watching for this for the first time as a kid or something, or as a young teenager, would it be scary? Probably parts of it. Yeah, would it be I as scary so. as it used to be? No. Um, but I think the key to a uh, horror film is if those bits that have become antiquated can become endearing, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Um, if you, so you can still find it enjoyable rather than tedious when yeah, it's not yeah. scary anymore and this film there's a little slump at one point about two thirds of the way through um, but for the most part it's just a very buoyant really interesting 
incredibly confident piece of filmmaking and yeah for Wes Craven it brought him out of these kind of b-movie schlocky movies that he was actually doing with Sean S Cunningham he did a couple with the guys who went on to create Friday 13th um and he's clearly mirroring off a lot of stuff Halloween to come out um six years before this uh the first Jason film to come out four years before this so he was building on that slasher trope but he did it in a completely new way in a very focused way and yeah like you say the idea of the dreams is is genius like it really mm. is it's, i mean it's a fantastic idea and it is timeless and it allows you to do so many things and so many things that are boring tropes and slasher films of how does a villain turn up everywhere well it's a dream why yeah, do they yeah. go wandering off into the dark well she's in a dream you know like you can get away with literally anything um which opens the door to yeah a lot more fun that you can have which is definitely the direction the series goes in but this, for me, has a great balance. There's some inventiveness, inventiveness here. Certainly not as much as will come later on, but I kind of like that it's still grimy here. There is still mm -hmm. a kind of, um, shl well, not schlocky, a kind of almost snuff movie quality to certain scenes in it. Um, Freddy likes just cutting pieces of his body off a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Just for menacing effect. Um, but And then you've got this incredibly innocent lead character in Heather Langkamp, a lot of people criticize her as well for not being one of the greatest actresses and not a strong, you know, horror female lead. Um, and she's not, I can see she's a little bit insipid and she's not the best actress in the world, but I really like the innocence of the character a lot. I really liked it. And, and to kind of go back to a bit, you sort of started mentioning before about starting with Tina and then going to the character yeah. of Nancy. I mean, I loved that. I loved that um, it pulled us in that direction to begin with, but that she was quickly taken away and and, I think and nancy kind of came to the front which i think it's really easy cool. for people to forget that that's how that would have been the first time you see it because now everyone knows nancy yeah and they know that she's the lead of this movie but i think it's played actually very well and it's easy to forget that this did a psycho essentially it's like hey mm -hmm. here's your lead character no we're going to kill that one and yeah. move to someone new but in a weird way nightmare was kind of not smart and psycho but smarter in a way in that it had already introduced the other character and you were already used to nancy so when she mm -hmm. takes over you accept her as your lead now how long was that film it is. It's short. It's an hour and thirty. Hour and thirty-one. I, I thought that was great. By the time we were getting to that last sequence, I remember thinking, "This has been paced perfectly for yeah. me." Yeah, yeah. I think at this period of time, I mean, most horror films we just did all the Jason ones, and up until nine, I want to say they were all under an hour and thirty minutes, all mm -hmm. of them, which is great for these these type of films. Keep yeah, them sharp. Absolutely. Keep them snappy. You know, I don't. I, you don't have enough ideas anyway for these films. You just need to like breeze through. Um, so Wes Craven had like the inspiration for this movie came from a couple of places. Do you know about this? No, I was going to ask you actually. It's interesting. Uh, so one was literally just a newspaper article he read about some kids who were, who were dying in their sleep. Uh, they were having trouble sleeping and then they started dying in their sleep. Terrifying. Um, the other was he, as a kid, um, he was at his window. I'm trying to remember the exact story. And he was looking out the window and he saw this homeless man standing out on the street looking at him. And he was in a red and green stripy sweater. I'm totally going to have nightmares tonight. Um, and he hid as a kid, terrified. And when he finally peeked back up over the window, the guy had walked right up to the window to stare through it. I'm going to fucking have nightmares. <laughs> and that always lasted with him. And there's a running theme with Wes Craven that he only liked to write his horror films when he'd had a nightmare. And mm -hmm. that he based them on his nightmares which we will definitely get into in number seven because that's the theme of that of that Freddy film. Um, yeah, so he just kind of colluded those two, like the imagery of that character, that homeless guy, which mm -hmm. had he had the fedora hat as well. So right. he really was just like a Freddy character. Albeit Actually, yeah, I think I, I have place. heard that story. It's one of those ones that's too good. You're kind of like, is that bullshit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but no, I could, yeah, I could believe that. These things come from places. Um, okay. We start off with the New Line logo, mm -hmm. which at this period was awesome i love this new line logo i love it's it's abrasive flashy red red black red black, red black. <laughs> so cool so new line were kind of a new company at this point um and they are now known as the house that freddie built that's what their nickname is because all of their the company was basically built on nightmare on elm street money nightmare on elm street is the biggest money-making horror franchise in history just it just wow. beats out the jason ones um, but the first film did not make anywhere near as much as the Jason film. So let's talk a little bit about money. A Nightmare on Elm Street, made in 1984, cost nearly $2 million to make, 1800000 and it had a hefty worldwide box office of $25.5 million, which is a lot of money. Uh, in contrast to that, though, four years before, Jason 
Uh, where is it? Da, 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 da. Jason was made for five hundred thousand dollars and made sixty million dollars um, in his worldwide box office. So this was certainly not the success that the Friday the Thirteenth movies were to begin with. Um, but it built and built and built, uh, whereas the Friday Thirteenth ones tended to slump, uh, slump off for a while, until we got to Freddy vs Jason, which was the biggest of these of them by far. Um, okay. Notes. My notes. So I think a huge reason why this film still works today, and I think will continue to work, is it's actually it's actually very well shot. I think he's an excellent director. Mm-hmm. But I actually think it's to do with the music. I think the music and the score, and not just the one everyone knows, because you've got you've got the actual theme tune. Um, do that on the kazoo. beautiful uh yeah that's theme tune which is fantastic it's a brilliant theme yeah. tune chilling and i remember the first time i heard it, it was chilling immediately mm-hmm. then you've got the the song that the little girl sang on skipping rope which comes in in the second scene of this movie uh well sort of 2.5 you have the beginning nightmare and then you have she wakes up and then they walk into school and that is immediately happening with the skip rope you know i didn't notice it at that point do you not yeah it's happening straight away and where they're just, singing the actual freddie song yeah because just the mythology being built is incredible yeah right from the off so much assured mm. great mythology um but then you have just the peripheral score which is this kind of jarring synth yep. noises and weird echoey reverby synths and stuff um, <laughs> and just like boom, 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 boom. It's really fucking good, like really yeah. good, and just makes you feel, oh, there's something just mm. horrible and grimy about this. And that, for me, is what still gets under my skin. Even Freddy now, it's hard to take seriously because he became a joke in the sequels um, and more of a Looney Tune character. Um, but that music still gets under my skin. Yeah, and it, I think it's like the repetition of it. It's almost like it uh, it accentuates the start of each scene. It's just like or punctuates it's like every time it changes then it's like that yeah you like it just hits and then you kind of it's action 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 the next day boom you get it again yeah um especially in that that sort of opening sort of 30 minutes it just kind of like keeps recurring yeah it's pervasive i'm normally a thing of you know what horror films when you start with your spooky music you're just laying it on too thick yeah yeah. but this theme's so good and you're in the action straight from the off with this movie Mm -hmm that i'm like go for it like it's just the whole movie is thick with this music i think the yeah. only time you get light relief music is right at the end where you got the fake happy ending mm-hmm. and that's about it i think the rest of the time it's just oppressive yeah cd music <laughs> and it's funny it kind of for me it's sort of the, the, the music and the score sort of slipped into the background of my thought mm-hmm. but it's certainly through its repetition and just getting used to it, it definitely kept that goosebumpy kind of feeling going. Yeah, so you don't notice it somehow, yeah. but it is, it's constantly there under your skin. Yeah. And yeah. They, they're smart enough at the end of the film even to have like the one, two, yeah, three, yeah. and they just go into the credits on that and it's so peaceful, mm-hmm. but chilling. Oh, absolutely And chilling. then the 80s rock song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't be an but 80s film without an 80s rock song. Um, so what well, you actually start with after New Line logo, it's a small, um, sorry, it was the Freddie making his glove. And this is an interesting scene because I remember this was the thing that first made me feel really weird watching this movie. Of, mm-hmm. Oh, we're in this like furnace, uh, sort of boiler room and he's building this knife glove. Um, but what's weird about it is that it's a little, the aspect ratio of this is a little box. I don't know if you noticed. Yeah, in the middle of the I screen, thought that was a really cool choice. Which is a really weird choice and it makes it somehow... I don't know. It's like this little portal into his world and you don't see Freddy. You just sort of hear him walking around and you see his hands making this thing. Because we're potentially... I, I would probably need to see it again, but is it safe to assume that this is prior to him being murdered by the people in the community? I don't know. I mean, they try and clarify that in some sequels, I remember. So when we get to them, maybe it will, it will help. Um, yeah, I guess so. Because then obviously later, which we'll probably get into the mum, yeah. reveals the glove. Yeah. I guess that is. I guess that is what it's meant to be. Mm. Um, I just feel it's a great setup for the movie of yeah. introduce your character, creating their weapon of choice, and mm. immediately letting you know straight away, you know, these knives are going to be important. The things yeah. they do are important, and they will instill the fear. Um, 
They're smart enough to keep Freddy hidden for a little while in the movie. You see him in yep. straight away in the opening sequence, but he's in shadows a lot, and you just see him sort of silhouetted and behind sheets and things. And he has one-liners in this film, but not too many. Um, I feel he's kind of, you know, devilishly cheeky occasionally, but he's not a pantomime mm-hmm. like he would quickly become. Um, do you mind how he is now? Do you think, I mean, did you like, do you like him talking? Would you rather he shut up? Like, cause you have, but this is the thing before this, you have Michael Myers doesn't talk. Jason doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. Then Freddie comes along and I think his first line, cause I wrote it down here. Where is it? His first line is this is God. When he turns to Tina and he just holds up the glove and she's like, I ain't like, or she say like, God help me or something. Or yeah. Like, yeah. That's and right. He's like, this is God. No, I mean, yeah, it's sort of in in the sort of more current uh, incarnations of him. Sometimes, yeah, the cheekiness in that sort of is can be interesting, can be slightly funny. But I mean, I think how he is in one in this film is is perfect to build that whole mythology about him being the child murderer and and now being some kind of yeah demon thing that is haunting dreams and and just having those occasional lines and yeah i thought that was i like him as he is now okay so you're happy with the balance of him yeah absolutely and i think yeah i don't i don't want to have to hear him talk more necessarily yeah yeah i think he's just about right in this one there's only one bit and i remember it bothering me even when i first saw it um and i quickly realized oh i like being scared Mm. was He's scary, and then you have this... And I very quickly understood the logic of horror films of, you know, you need to not be on with the killer. You need to be the victim so you don't understand where the killer's yeah. coming from. And, but there's this weird bit at the end of this movie where you're with Nancy, and she set up the traps for him and brought him out of her dream, and she's chasing him around the house and, you know, sort of chasing each other. And she creeps up on him, and you see him standing, peering around the side of... Do you remember this? Of their kind of boiler room or that there in the uh, house. Yeah, yeah. And he's kind of looking as if he knows where she is, but she's not. She's got mm. the beat on him, and she's behind him. And he starts to, like, scratch his claws down the thing. And that moment diffused everything for, for me as a kid to do with Freddy. It was like, oh, he's an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. He doesn't know everything. He's not a god, like, you know, this all-imposing creature... She can literally creep up behind him and he thinks she's around there. It's not even that he's looking for her or has lost her. He thinks he knows where she is and it's embarrassing. And I was, I remember being embarrassed for Freddie in that shot. But is that part of, isn't that partly because he is now in the real world? Yeah, I think so. But I think because also some of his reactions when he gets hurt, yeah, I thought were like him suddenly realizing. Oh, I can get hurt. Well, no, yeah, I think yeah. it is, and I think Wes Craven wouldn't sacrifice what he thought were important messages for horror. Mm. He was very much about important messages, and we'll get to that when we talk about the ending at the right. end of this podcast. Um, but for me, I'm more about well, I want my character to look cool. And right, right. I've never really been on, and we'll come back to this a lot for podcasts. I've never really been on Freddie's side because he's a child molester and a murderer, well, and mm. this one is just a child murderer. Um, but still pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, whereas Jason, <laughs> yeah. I felt sympathetic for. How lo- like Michael Myers, I don't feel sympathetic for, but I can understand. Uh, Freddy, I could never understand or feel sympathetic for. So I mm-hmm. find it weird that people cheer him on like a hero kind of thing. Um, but I did like being scared of him. And in this one, I find him scary. Yeah. But then that moment just diffused his whole character for me. That That's just a weird shot that for me, I wish forever to this day could be cut out of the movie. That's because really it just interesting. Ruins the kind of, concept of him as being as this scary creature um okay sorry yeah that's really interesting um yeah so then we have we have a lot of cool you were touching on it earlier the practical effects in this mm-hmm. uh cool and interesting particularly for movies only one million eight hundred you know thousand dollars he chops off his fingers he chops open like his his chest and maggots crawl out yeah there's some great kills um in this film mm-hmm. um very imaginative kills particularly for the time you have tina's one when she's grabbed by an unseen force and literally in the middle of the air is flipping around yeah in yeah. a kind of inception sort of shot yeah and then hits the wall and is dragged like up onto the, up ceiling. On the ceiling fucking brilliant like yeah. that scene i still think is incredibly well done yeah it works on so many levels and the boyfriend's just reaching out for her, you know. It's, I love it. Um, you got Johnny Depp's one where he goes into the bed, which I think is great. His TV gets sucked in with him. And then all this blood just... 
gushes out and hits so the cool. ceiling. It's just like dripping from the ceiling as his mom comes in. And then it's kind of dripping. It's like they moved the room then on a different angle yeah. because the blood starts dripping at a weird angle. That's what I really like. How it was like, it looked like it was dripping, yeah, down, like so horizontally, diagonally. Yeah. diagonally across the ceiling. Yeah, it's a really chilling effect. Um, and we were just talking about, yeah, the weird bit of info with that, that are having trouble getting it past board certification in the US because they were upset with how much of one kid's blood was coming out of the bed. So then Wes Craven just explained to them, it's actually meant to be the blood of all of Freddy Krueger's victims, the children that he's killed. And they were fine with it. <laughs> Let it pass. Yeah, if it's one kid, it's a no-go. Yeah, but if it's all the kids, that's fine. Um, we have a definite introduction to him right at the beginning just before he kills Tina. So it's really the second time you've seen him and he appears through the wall, pushing against this latex wall. Ah, oh, yeah, another great practical effects bit. I love that. Really chilling. Um, yeah. And he pushes off the crucifix at that point, which he then puts back on the wall to kind mm-hmm. of sort of sort of protect herself un- unwittingly. Um, but I thought that was a definite, you know, nod to his demonicness. Uh, yeah. Which will definitely come back later in the series. Um, and then we have the long wall, the long arms scene. <laughs> Not one of the best. So his first, effects. this is like when we first see his face. He's in an alleyway. He's basically called Tina out of her bed by throwing stones at her window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> She's a, like know, an old school boy. romantic. Yeah, throwing stones to wake her up, calls her down into the alleyway. Um, we see his face for the first time. And these elongated arms, mm. which I certainly don't remember no? ever seeing. You don't remember that image? No. And, uh, yeah, it was weird. It just looked of its time and, yeah. and too, too sort of fake. Like it very much, you could, like, you could see the bends, like where he was where holding, holding an yeah. extension. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I I still like it. I give it a pass just because I remember it so vividly and it's it's silhouetted enough that, yeah, sure, it looks fake, but mm. and it's brief. Like, that yeah. whole sequence is very brief. It just seems as if they were, well, what imagery can we use? It's like, okay, have him with long arms. We can do that. That's easy. Have him jump from behind a tree because we just have to do this one sort of matte shot with effects. Mm-hmm. Have him chop up his fingers because we have this hand we can make. We can just do that. Yeah. And then immediately another one, she grabs his face and it comes off. And he's got skeleton Freddy just like biting at it. And it really just seemed this hodgepodge of like, how many weird shit can we yeah, yeah, easily, maybe we've bit. got something lying around. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. It's hokey for mm-hmm. sure. But it's quick enough that it doesn't bother me too much. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, it yeah, it very quickly, like you said, moves on from that and just throws in a bunch of other cool stuff. Yeah. Um, They're definitely just, yeah, throwing all their ideas in, in, in one scene right there just to kind of, but it's still a great reveal of his face too. Yeah. Um, and it's terrifying. Like when you see... Yeah. Because at that stage you don't... We don't know his history or who he is. And, uh, and yeah, it's hard to, to think of that, that now, kind isn't of it? Like, yeah. Because Watching obviously that first time I have no it. idea who he is and what his deal is. Why is he burnt? Yeah. And in this slimy kind of way in this one. He's got a, like yeah, a yeah. swamp thing, which is fitting, I guess, because Wes Craven directed this one thing. But he's got this kind of swampy feel to him. Mm-hmm. Um, which again is quite Jason at the time. So it's kind of interesting that look that they give him. Um, we also have a definite Halloween nod, which is the school scene where she's in class and she's nodding off in class. Uh, yeah. um, and she's being taught by the teacher uh, as will become a staple for most slasher films. There's a scene where this, the lead character is in a class and the teacher is teaching them some important piece of literature which has repercussions, you know, or some similes to the plot mm-hmm. of the film. And here they're teaching a scene from from Hamlet, very similar to, yeah, the famous scene in Halloween with, with Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, but instead of just looking out and seeing a Michael Myers looking at her in this one, they get to have a lot more fun because you're in the dreams. So you have definitely an iconic scene, which is Tina in the plastic bag with of blood. Brilliant. Calling out to Nancy and then being dragged off down the hallway by an invisible Freddy. In just perfectly orchestrated, I think that shot. Like her legs lift up that and then her great. arm just flops and then she just drags. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I loved that. That whole sequence was really cool. Yeah. Um, Bumps into, she follows her down the hall and. Uh, oh, you get 
uh, uh, Hall Pass Freddy yeah. as well, which is the first time you see him. Oh, he can embody different people mm-hmm. in dreams as well. He doesn't have to look like Freddy, uh, which doesn't is not my favorite version of Freddy, to be honest, when he does that kind of thing. But it's important to the lore, I think, to be. Yeah, be and it's like it's always the iconic yeah green and brown uh or green and uh, Got the red sweater, sweater. yeah exactly um and then of course we have the even there's a lot of iconic scenes in this film we have the even more iconic glove between the legs in the bathtub scene which is fucking great i love that scene she's in nancy's in the bath she falls asleep the glove her legs are spread very wide <laughs> and the camera's right in there and the glove just appears through the water it's about to impale her she wakes up disappears goes back to sleep and then suddenly it grabs her from you think it's going to happen again and no it grabs her from underneath and drags her into this sort of weird underwater ocean below the bath yeah um which is yes where we get our our only side boob from a girl there's some who's the, who does the boobs from a guy in this one so, uh switchblade no switchblade guy. His name is. yeah um i particularly like that water scene as a as a means of it moving away from him just tearing people apart yeah. in their dreams that he can like manipulate these sort of worlds and have different means of killing people and to like pull her under and try and drown her was was really cool i thought it's really it's haunting imagery and this is again i mentioned this a little bit in in friday 13th one i want these songs to be a bit more haunting with their Mm. imagery and it's it's great like it looks great it's it's just it's more of the things you can do that make it unsettling without having to be goofy and without mm-hmm. having to necessarily yeah, include freddy just running around scratching things yeah essentially um okay uh we have a nod to evil dead in this film uh mm-hmm. which is uh, when johnny depp is watching it on tv or she watching no she's watching it on she's TV. watching it trying to stay awake <laughs> trying to stay awake she's like i know what i do i watch evil dead which was definitely... I mean, this is a great film, luckily, so they pull it off. But it's ballsy to include one of the greatest horror films yeah. uh, ever made in your film. Um, I also like Nancy's <laughs> wonderfully... Well, I mean, we mentioned she's a very innocent character, but her clothes are kind of ridiculous. She wears this very sort of frilly nighty, and then she's got pink, like a pink shirt with a pink jumper on. Yeah really trying to play up this is a girly girl mm-hmm. you know she's not a tomboy um she's not edgy at all um which is interesting for a lead character in a horror film because they tend to be sure not the edgiest but they tend to definitely have more of a i mean do you think they're trying to give it because she says i'm a survivor you know i want to be a survivalist and she tries to fight back do you buy that ride of her turning into more of a tough girl by the end or do you think she's still the goody goody sort of virgin virginal uh, lead um yeah no i buy it i mean i feel like she was pushed into that choice but then as the kind of end reveals when everything kind of resets that's exactly she wants to be back she wants to be that girl she wants to be the goody goody sort of night uh, innocent pure kind of girl um and when given the chance to kind of have her world reset, like that's where she's happy and that's what she wants. And I think, I think she earned the right. Well, not, yeah, she earned that moment of like being pushed to the limit of like, okay, well now I have to. I'm sleep deprived and I need to yeah figure this shit out. My yeah, friends are dying. Yeah, like I said, I actually I I like her just being goody goody the whole time. Yeah, uh, I think it's kind of, I don't know, it's refreshing in this day and age. Yeah, quite yeah. often uh, we were talking about it before. Like again, in this film, no one's unlikable. Mm-hmm. Like other than the mother, which we'll definitely get to in a second, but no one's, no, but none of the teenagers are unlikable in this mm-hmm. film, and they're not in the first two Friday Thirteens. But you watch a slasher film nowadays, and you have a bunch of assholes and maybe yeah, one yeah. or two likable characters. Um, and I, I like that in the eighty films they showed. You know what? You can have an edgy character. You can have someone who, yeah, sure, maybe is a bit of a dick, but they're still likable um, and enjoyable to watch on screen. Um, yeah, I find it refreshing. Let's talk about a the mother then, shall we? So her mother, who it looks like she's been drinking ever since. Uh, so it turns out that the parents, Freddy Krueger, lives in the neighborhood. Killed they a bunch don't of explain kids. much more about him other than he yeah, killed 20 kids that they all knew, is all they say in this cut of the film. Uh, took them to a boiler room, murdered them. The parents found out about this. The, the police get involved. There's a throwaway line which is someone forgot to the sign warrants. the right yeah, for the warrant, for the search warrant and he got off. Yeah. So he gets off, scot-free. 
Like, was it the lawyers got fat and the, the lawyers <laughs> got fat and the judge got uh, wealthy famous, or something? Yeah, famous, famous. That's it. You're yeah. like, what? That's not even a line. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um, if it was a short court case, the lawyers did not get fat. <laughs> yeah. But Fred, Freddy Krueger gets off. The parents decide they're going to take thing, matters into their own hands and they hunt him down and they burn him in his boiler room. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what's insinuated anyway in the boiler room. Yeah, she sort of implies that they they pour they pour gasoline yeah. all around it and outside of it and um, and it's just told in a story which I like. I like any films where they don't do a flashback where they just tell it in a story because mm-hmm. you can imagine it in your head. Um, and she just for some reason kept his glove in the the basement of their house in a tiny furnace. Yeah, <laughs> why did she do that? So somehow they also which that means she they. They got into his afterwards, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> um, decided to just keep it for some reason. But okay, whatever. Um, now, interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, as of recording, we reported it on our Geeks Weekly podcast. Um, there was a new, there was an additional sort of ten to twenty seconds of that scene uh, that was put up on the internet from someone who got hold of the edit, and it was recorded a long time ago, like a long, long time ago. So it's pretty bad quality. Uh, but it's definitely genuine um, and it was an interesting bit that they cut out and the extra lines that they cut out were her saying the reveal that these kids were actually the kids of the parents which makes a lot more sense it wasn't because here she says kids that we all knew yeah but they're yeah. actually kids of the parents and and nancy had a sibling that yeah freddie then took and killed and Johnny Depp had a sibling that, and all these people had siblings that were killed by Freddie. Yeah, I remember when we were watch uh, when we were watching it. Then I was thinking, I don't know if I'd heard that or, but I remember thinking that that's that where that sense. that was. That's what the reveal was going to be. Yeah, and that would make way way more sense. Um, it's very weird that they took that out because mm. uh, it obviously gives more impetus for why Freddie's concentrating on those teens rather yeah, than yeah. just. They're the children of the parents. And it gives the parents more reason to do what they did. Because in this film, the parents are painted as horrible people. Mm-hmm. Really are. Um, but they were just trying to protect their children. Yeah. But, yeah, in this version, they're not trying to protect their children. They're trying to protect other people's children. Which is still virtuous. But it, I don't know. It's just a strange thing to cut out. It, it is. I, I definitely feel that would have made more sense. But sadly, yeah, we won't know for sure. Because uh, Wes Craven is no longer around. Why that would got cut out. But maybe someone knows. Um... Yeah, and also, uh, while we're on plot holes and questions, so Freddie, we've established in this already in the series, and this this fact becomes very important later, that his power comes from people believing in him. Mm-hmm. We've established that very clearly in this film. It comes from people believing in him and spreading fear about him. So mm-hmm. he wants people to know he's around. Yeah. It's important to him. So when Rod, who is the punk switchblade kid, his name's Rod, I think. Yeah, I think so. When he is strangled in his cell purposely made by freddy to look like he killed himself to throw people off the scent so then there's all the loose ends are tied up so no one's going to question anymore why did he do that like why doesn't surely he wants people to know that it's him why would he try and cover up tracks so well, that no one knows what's going on but i mean it's important for him for the young people to know that it was him which they do okay so they're gonna keep perpetuating that so you think story. He's just trying to myth. stop the parents from knowing, but wants the teenagers to know. Yeah, I think that's more to instill fear in them, also knowing that they were going there and knowing that they knew he was the next target. Because these are always the motive problems with these things. It's like if I was Freddie, I appreciate he liked kids, but he's not going for kids. He's going for teenagers. Yeah. And he's not going for the parents who murdered him. If I were him, I'd kill the parents first. Yeah, and yeah. then maybe go back to your old motif or whatever. And it's the same with Jason. He got bullied and killed by kids because of nonchalant, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, counselors. Yeah. But he only goes after counselor age people. And see, he never kills a kid ever mm-hmm. in any of them. You're like, well, you'd be killing the kids because they're the ones who bullied and drowned you. Yeah. Anyway, we'll give it the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah, so her mother that we briefly touched on, she was part of that killing Freddie. Since yep. then, it seems her marriage broke apart and she became a heavy drinker. She's fucking... At, like, because she was racked with the guilt, obviously. I right? mean, we believe so, but there's no... Like, they never touch on this and we don't really get it. We just alluded to that, I guess she's a drinker all yeah. the time, but you don't see her drinking much at the beginning. It really happens later. It really ha- happens later and they really hammer it home. Two of my favorite shots of the mother... 
is Nancy peeking out the door and her mum by the linens, linen closet with the giant bottle of vodka and yep. having a cigarette. <laughs> and then tucking her mum into bed or like telling her mum that, you know, she's got to get Freddie basically. Yep. And she has to go to sleep. And her mum kind of being very agreeable, but, you know, understanding the consequences. And then just rolling over and then pulling out what looked like an even bigger vodka yeah, bottle. Like <laughs> from like, nowhere. Yeah, just like pulled it out <laughs> and starts drinking again. Brilliant. Uh, she's awful in this movie. I don't oh, care yeah. if she's trying to act drunk. I don't care what the excuse is. She's so bad from her hair to her makeup to her acting and just how useless that character is, which is constantly, just go to sleep and it'll be fine. Go yeah. to sleep and it'll be fine. I'm going to put you to sleep. I'm going to buy you in. I'm going to lock you in. I she's took the key <laughs> and I don't know where it is. She's so frustrating <laughs> yeah. in this movie. I just, yeah, she's definitely the worst thing for me. It, no. Yeah, it's funny because... If that was maybe a different different actress and it was played in a bit more of a grounded sort of way. Yeah. It, there would, there, like, all the elements are there that, and it would be really good. I mean, Yeah, that, I like this mother-daughter relationship. It mm, could have been really cool. Yeah. And instead it's just every time she's on screen, I'm like, oh, here yeah, we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a painful scene again. Um, it, I mean, that sort of her performance and that, yeah, kind of takes it into sort of a B movie, yeah, kind of territory. Yeah, which is funny because I think she was one of the few known actresses at the time, right? Um, but yeah, she's not good. She definitely just seems like she's phoning it in to me. Um, and I like Nancy's gray hair. She gets gray hair suddenly after the sleep clinic, isn't mm-hmm. it? I think. Um, because that's also another great bit for the mom where she's like, "Nancy, yeah, your hair." <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, and then we get the terrifying line at our age of someone looking at themselves in the mirror and going, oh my God, I look 20 years old. <laughs> Which is hilarious because I think she's like 19 when she did this. It's not that bad. Yeah. Calm down, lady. Um, okay. So, oh, and one more thing I want to point out. This is meant to be based in Springwood, Ohio. At no point does Ohio have LA palm trees. This entire film is shot in LA. There's even a scene shot just down the road from where we are now in the canals, which is an iconic LA landmark. Yeah. Why would you do that? Why would you have the funeral palm trees clearly everywhere? I remember watching it as a kid. You don't notice. You don't care. As a European, you're like, it's in America. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what Ohio is. But if you're an American, that would have pissed me off personally. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they don't even try to hide it in Hollywood. They just go for it. Um, Yeah, it's so funny. It's just like so obvious. But in another way, I kind of respect it now. I'm like, well, yeah. you did go for it. You just thought, fuck it. Let's but do they mention it's in there in Hawaii? I think there's a signpost. I think there's a signpost somewhere. I don't know. I'll have to check on it. And do we actually ever... Actually, now I'm thinking about it. Do we actually ever get a point in this film that they're on Elm Street other than the title? Yeah, she lives on Elm Street. But do we but get do a we clear see indicator it? of that? I'll be honest, I didn't notice. Yeah, neither did I. I presume we do, because otherwise, why you know, would he call it? what he called it yeah, it's cool um, <laughs> if you just called it that but yeah we definitely didn't get a cheesy shot of hey elm street and panning down from it or anything mm. like that so let's, let's wrap up by talking about a couple of things one the ending yep. she turns her back on freddy he turns into magical goo um and disappears yep. and then we have the ending with the car as we described before so where's craven famously again like i was saying he likes to not do horror for no reason he didn't want a sequel to this film um, he wrote the ending to be the happy ending that you see and it actually was all a dream like the whole film is basically one of Nancy's dreams and they're fine and they just drive off at the end and that's it uh, but of course it produces sort of money that could be made and forced him to do what uh, they do with the Freddy jumper car thing which for me is really signifier for where this whole series is very quickly going to go to, mm-hmm. which is that kind of branding and franchise stuff and merchandisable, you know, like mm-hmm. entity. Uh, and the mother being pulled through the window never worked for me. Even as a kid, it's clearly an inflatable doll that gets pulled yeah. through and it folds up in a weird fashion. Yeah. Um, not that I wanted the happy ending either. For me, that's way too happy. I don't like a cheesy happy ending. Like, oh, it's all a dream. Mm. Um, but I, I don't really like the ending of this film very much. I don't mind her turning her back on Freddy and getting rid of him by taking away his power. It's a bit cheesy, sure, but it makes poetic sense. Mm-hmm. But I wish they had had a different way to kind of do the last moment to kind of show, oh no, he might still be around somehow. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean, I can, I can definitely, 
Um, yeah, do I really, really like the ending? For like the first part of the ending when he disappears, I don't think it's great, but like you, I accept it. I think it's completely works within the realms of, of the story up until that point and, and like her, that idea of, yeah, just refusing to believe in him and therefore he, his existing kind of goes, uh, he disappears. Uh, but then the next bit, yeah, the happy ending... And the car, like the car bit with the <laughs> the striped cover was, yeah, it feels too much sort of like a delib- like it's so deliberate and so obvious. Such you a producer know. moment. It yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I would have been happy if it was just like some hint or suggestion, like they drive off, you hear the girl singing and there's with the skip rope, which is so creepy. And maybe something yeah. in that moment, you know. Yeah. Do uh, the happiness pan across, have the kids skipping, singing the song. Yeah. And then one last, you know, whatever it is. I whatever, know, yeah. Whether, whether he's there or his hat's on the ground or yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Just something something that makes, oh, maybe this is a dream. Just something yeah, that makes that last yeah. bit in your taste. Like the, I'd love it. Like, you, do you remember David Cronenberg's Existence? I never watched that. Remember, so they're, well, they're all in this kind of like video game in it. Yeah. They go into like a virtual reality video game. It was really ahead of its time. But then they go into multiple layers of it and they keep going deeper into one. Mm-hmm. And inside the game, they'll put on another unit and go inside like another game. Yeah. And then they never know when they're in the real world. And that's kind of how the ending is where they eventually come out of it. And then all the dire consequences happen. Yeah. And then they sound like the guns are being pointed. And then they, one of them kind of looks and goes, wait. We're still playing, right? Then it just cuts to credits. Nice. <laughs> it's really fucking cool. Spoilers for existence. <laughs> um, I really want something like that with this. Something where you're just like, oh, are we... Oh, we thought that that was a dream. Oh, no, this isn't a dream. Oh, it is a dream. Yeah, yeah. And it's like really fuck with you for the last couple of seconds of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Inception style. But no. Yeah, totally. Right. Because, I mean, if you're going to... Like you said, if you, if it, the fact that it's set in a dream... Or the action is set in the dream. Like, there's so much flexibility with what you can do in that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the ending, not great, but I can completely understand it in the kind of context of what it's setting up. Okay. Um, from a producer's point of view, of just like, yeah, we, a need, we need franchise to, yeah. possibility. Mm-hmm. Jason's already on his fourth outing by now. We've got to catch well, up, guys. Yeah, there you go. We've got to catch up. Um, so, Alex. Um, where where as a nightmare on elm street watcher and a like i presume you like this film from the sounds of it mm-hmm. you're a little bit of you're enjoying freddy you want to see some more freddy what do you want him to do next like where would you want this series to start going to um that that's a really interesting point um yeah i don't i don't i don't know obviously like i don't i guess for me, even though I know she's not in the next one because I mm-hmm. looked it up, you know, I think the, the kind of natural instinct is to see him return into Nancy's life. Okay. Um, um, but I obviously know that's not happening in the second one. Okay. But you, you'd like a more like Halloween to continue with Jamie Lee Curtis immediately after the first one finished. Yeah, like, yeah. So you'd like to just keep going with the story from where yeah. it left off. And- yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like, I it obviously opens itself to a lot more imagination, um, but I think I would have enjoyed yeah them keeping the same character or at mm. least one of the same characters, Johnny Depp. Keep him. Yeah, yeah, he's great in this movie. He's so sweet and innocent. It's adorable. And and I think just also, perhaps yeah, keeping to that sort of storyline and those characters, um could just help build that mythology around him more and, and his attachment to these particular people and what they did to him. Do you know what I mean? Without, without making him like, even though it kind of goes into that sort of let's root for Freddy kind of way, but building it, the story of all those people and how they're connected. Yeah, I agree because it's weird because Halloween came out and they understood what they're doing immediately. It's a very confident, here's the law, here's Michael Myers, Mm -hmm. here's his history. Here you go. But, there's not much. It's very simple. It's very clean. It's just a guy who wants to kill the members of his family and he comes back home and he's just killing babysitters and that's it. 
Jason, it took them three films before they knew what he was. He's not even in the first one. The second one, he doesn't have his mask. He only gets it halfway through the third one. Mm -hmm. And then by the fourth one, he's finally becoming the Jason that you know kind of thing now. It took them a long time to understand what his character is. Freddy, there's so... Like, they seem to know exactly what he is. Yeah. But there's so much lore going on. There's way more complicated stuff happening here in back history. Yeah. Um, and stuff you could do with his world in terms of what he's occupying. That I feel, yeah, there's a lot for them still. Okay, we they come out really confident, but there's loads to play with and figure out and still build upon. And I think they could do it in a smart way. I know they don't, because <laughs> I've seen this before. But I think there's a lot of interesting ways they could have gone from here with his character. Now, you, you can probably tell me right now if this has been done. Okay. And obviously, there's... Like, I, I sort of brought it up before we started, where um, from my kind of jumbled up memory of the Freddy films, I clearly remembered a flashback scene of how he was mm-hmm. um, murdered by the, the parents, the people, the parents. Um, and I thought it was in this film, but obviously that comes up in later films several different times. Has there actually ever been a film um, about Freddy Krueger prior to him becoming a dream like monster? Like a prequel. Like a prequel sort of about so- him just being a child murderer. Yeah, and that event leading so up to that event. They were trying to make that film for quite a while. It was actually, uh, I think it was after Freddy vs. Jason. It mm-hmm. may have been before, but I think it, well, it was potentially both. Uh, but I know they were trying to do that for a long time. Robert Englund was really behind it because I think he didn't want a way to make up anymore. <laughs> but I think he wanted to, yeah, just, he he's an intelligent man as well. And I think he wanted to explore the psyche of his character mm-hmm. um, as a serial killer, essentially. Yeah. Um, I was always happy. It never got made. And for me, it's very obvious why it never got made mm-hmm. because it's just how do you do that now? You know, if it was brand new and you made one film and then you did that, sure, maybe you could. It's mm-hmm. not what the character is to people because yeah, it turns yeah. him. We'll talk about this in Friday. We'll talk about it in this one and we'll talk about it in Halloween. But these are essentially become comic book characters. That's what yeah. they become, all of them. And that's why you root for them because they're cool in their design and their powers, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't, to turn Freddy into a sincere disturbing portrait of a serial killer is i don't know how you do that from where he you know ends up even by part three which is this comical character that people are cheering from so well you can't go back now and show well he murdered children and you know Mm -hmm. let's get into that (laughs) yeah yeah Um, because it would have to be like seven or something Mm -hmm. um so no there wasn't ever one made Uh, interesting there might have uh, there's bits of it and you get actually quite a chunk of it in the remake um you get a bit oh really history yeah yeah but they tackle him in a different way in that one. So I'll be interested what you think when we get there. Yeah, at the cool. end of our journey. At the end, right at the end. But before we get there, Alex, first of all, do you recommend to people that they see the original 1984, A Nightmare on Elm Street? Absolutely. I think uh, this is such an iconic film and had such a kind of influence on pop culture of that time. And I think, I mean, my sort of knowledge and expertise isn't as is uh, broad and diverse as yours, but I think it had a huge sort of um, influence, or well, certainly Wes Craven on the slasher genre. Mm. Oh, for forward. sure. Um, and I think this gives a sort of a really early indication of particularly his work and what he was going to go ahead and do uh, and with his style. And yeah, I definitely recommend it. Does it make sense to you, like the same director as the guy who did Scream? Like, do you see that correlation or are they, do they seem wildly... No, yeah, I, I do. Yeah. I absolutely do. I think, um, you know, perhaps I might have to watch Scream again because it's been a long time. But I, I certainly find, yeah, I can I can see that progression already of how he got to and the things that he held on to and um, talking about likable characters, you know, like having people that, that, you know, characters that might be a dick or might be a jock or mm. like, you know, you kind of can put into stereotype brackets but that you can still like and that you can still root for and that um and you can see the seeds of that in this yeah love from like where scream starts off i think he i think he portrays teens in a more intelligent fashion than most people do uh not that they're the smartest characters but just the most horror films and in particular slasher films and as we kind of pointed out earlier on Friday the 13th, we kept joking about how many boobs are shown in each film because we were surprised there's not many. There were more man boobs for a long time and then later on the boob count went up. In this series, I don't think there are really any. You know, And in this one, there's certainly none and the only one you kind of glimpse is from an arty kind of shot of her underwater, yeah, to be honest. Yeah. It's certainly not exploitation. 
which for someone who came from exploitation films like Last House on the Left, I think really kind of shows, you know, he was trying to sculpt a, a more, I don't want to say upmarket, but more reputable mm-hmm. reputation, I think, for, um, for slasher movies. And yeah, I would highly recommend people see A Nightmare on Elm Street if you'll still be scared by it. I don't know, but I still think it's a fun movie regardless. Um, I think it has great imagery. I think it's well-directed. I think the acting is all over the place, but yeah. it moves along fast enough that you're not going to get bored. Um, and it's just, it's haunting. I think it's a haunting. It is haunting. Film. And it's like, thematically, I think it's, it's like you brushed it before, it's, it's genius. The yeah. whole idea... Um, um, and like I said, when we started, it's an idea that that I walk away with that sticks with me and resonates with me. Um, I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to be terrified. Good. Well, I hope you enjoy that tonight when you go, when you go home and yeah. your wife's away right now. So you can sleep alone. Yeah. And, I, and I, I'll be sleeping by myself and, and I won't be looking out the window. <laughs> well, Alex, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, and if you're listening to this or watching this, you can subscribe to the rest of this horror retrospective or any of our other horror retrospectives by going on iTunes, typing in Geeks, typing in Tessellate or typing Geeks and Friday 13th or Geeks and whichever one you're interested in mm-hmm. seeing if we're doing um, and subscribe to it. We have a weekly podcast, Simply Called Geeks, where we talk about yeah. topical games and movie news and stuff like that. Um, and you can go to our website. It's the easiest way to find out about us. Just we are Tessellate with two S's and two L's. You can link through to all our podcasts. You can link through to reviews. You can link through to music. And more importantly, you can link through to our movies, our web series, our short films. Because we are a movie production company. We work out of LA. We work out of London. We work out of Tokyo. And we do this because we have... Fucking love it. (laughs) Because we're fucking crazy people. (laughs) And oh boy, do I love horror films. So please join us next week uh, where we'll be moving just one year along to 1985 and divulging into... The year I was born. Oh yeah, isn't it? And I'm on Elm Street, part two, colon, Freddy's Revenge. And we're out. Geeks! Geeks!